Released on Sunday, March 29th, 2015. This Agile Life, episode 78. Squirrels! Squirrels! The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Welcome to This Agile Life, a podcast about what it's like to be agile in the real world. So my name's Jason and we're gonna have a podcast today and I got a few great hosts who are gonna join me for a great discussion about agile practices, values, and principles. So joining me tonight, we got uh, Natalie. Natalie, introduce yourself, who are you? Hey guys, my name is Natalie. Um, I work at a company here in St. Louis uh, and uh, this is my second time on This Agile Life. And after listening to my first podcast, I may talk a little slower this time because I realized how many times I said um and ah, and I apologize for that. For all the listeners to the last one, I realized I have some crutch words. So we got Natalie here tonight, and uh, also join us tonight is uh, kind of a, a person who was here early on when This Agile Life got started, um, uh, Matt. Matt, tell us about yourself. Hey, so I'm Matt Corwell. Um, I'm currently in uh, Seattle, Washington. Um, yeah, I was I was uh, hosted, co-hosted um, some of the first episodes of this podcast. You may have heard me way back when. Um, and then I got uh, shipped off to a cave in a corner of a dark building and uh, got buried in the muck and the mire for a little while. It's been about a year or more since I've hosted. So uh, I'm here. I'm excited. I'm enjoying beautiful Seattle and, and ready to ready to chat. So we truly have a, at least we've gone across the states this tonight because uh, we've got people in the Midwest. We've got people on the West Coast, which is awesome. Also joining us is we got a, this person uh, who has become uh, – well, he was actually on This Agile Life when it started, but he didn't ever say anything. It is, of course, our friend Lee. Tell us about yourself, Lee. Oh, I actually have to say something about myself. Um, well, I live here in St. Louis, like lots of us here that do this podcast, and I've been doing Agile for about seven years and enjoying the heck out of it. I have learned more in seven years than I have in the previous – 20 or so that I uh, have been coding. So uh, I'm enjoying the hell out of it. And Lee, you know why you have to tell us something about yourself? You know why? Why is that? Because you're not a resource. What are you? <laughs> I'm a person. Yes. Darn it. Yes. And we have one other person with us tonight. And who is that? That person uh, is Craig. Craig, tell us about yourself. Hello. I feel like I'm on the dating game. Ooh, yes. <laughs> the agile dating uh, game. I am an agile practitioner, not an agile coach. I like to join your team and help your team figure out what to do next. Uh, I prefer Ruby on Rails, uh, but really anything uh, I can help your team with, I like to do. I like the fact that you don't, uh, you, you disavow the coach label. Whoa. If I'm a coach, then I'm a, then I'm a player coach. Ooh, that's cool. And or guess what? He's hanging out with John too much. John Sextra, who's also on this Agile sometimes. He can't join us tonight. And um, you know, sometimes jo jo John just wants to go and fire everybody, you know, fire the scrum masters, fire the BAs. I don't know. Anyways, he's crazy like that. So and of course, my name is Jason. I'm Jason Tice. Great to have you guys all here tonight. And what we want to do is we want to do a little bit of active coaching because we're going to do a round robin game here. And this is a game that is something that anyone listening could do in a retrospective. And so the way we set this up is um, we, we had, I asked a question and that was, 
What's something that all of us who are out there helping people to understand Agile and adopt Agile values and principles, what is something that we see people doing that we feel they could improve? And so we've all had a chance to think about this and, and I, everyone has come up with one thing. And what we're going to do to get this kind of conversation started, each person's going to share their idea and then we're going to vote on it and we're going to talk about whichever one kind of has the most votes. So is there a volunteer who would like to share first? And this is, oh. the, this is the part of the retrospective where it's really helpful to have like a balloon that we could pass around, but we're all on Skype, so we can't do that. Uh, so I'll, I'll go ahead and take a shot. Oh, yes. Yeah, thank you, Lee. Go for it. Okay. So uh, one thing that I've noticed uh, just, I would say, in the last year or so is that a lot of uh, places that try to do agile adoptions, they try to bring in uh, agile practices wholesale. They, they don't, they don't take the time to figure out what they can do to get better. They just latch on to all these different, uh, these different things that they, that they think are agile practices and they do them all at once and think that that's going to make them better. And, uh, and the problem is, is they don't really understand any one of them and, uh, doing, doing them half-heartedly or wrong or, in the wrong context or, or that sort of thing, they, they just end up getting frustrated and they say, all this agile stuff is, is a bunch of BS. Um, it didn't work for us at all. And that's, that's what I see as, as one of the biggest problems with people, with uh, companies adopting agile. Okay. So for fun, for fun, I'll, I'll come up with some names here. I'm going to call that the agile buffet. So it's like someone goes out, it's like going to the buffet line and you like say, you know what? I want some crab legs. I want some, you know, stir fry. I want some lasagna and just dump it on my plate. So they, they ordered too much. Okay. So we got an agile buffet. What else do we have? So I'll go ahead and add mine. Okay, uh, mine is product owners and their vision. Uh, how can they improve both explaining and selling their vision to the team? Uh, so a, a trend that I have noticed uh, recently is that agile, uh, sorry, pr product owners will tend to uh, not give enough time and effort to explaining that to their team. And that can have cascading effects uh, with, with everything. An unclear vision, no team uh, buy into the vision and then everything else planning all of that kind of stuff just starts to to go to pot so the i can't help if anyone's got a better name yell it out but to me that's the the product owner vision light bulb burned out or something yes ah, no that's, vision that's <laughs> burned Shared, out the burned out light bulb we'll call it shared that. vision or unshared vision yeah okay so that's clear craig you got one uh mine's pretty terrible compared to those um, so, uh, I was reminded today, um, about someone had mentioned the retrospective prime directive on Twitter and, and they didn't know what it was called actually, um, but they used it in their retrospectives. And, um, so that, that reads, regardless of what we discover, we understand and truly believe that everyone did the best job they could given what they knew at the time, their skills and abilities, the resources available and the situation at hand. So my problem is, um, I was on a team where. I didn't feel like the team actually believed that. And uh, that was a problem. Uh, and, and it got to the point where I didn't believe that people were doing the best job they could either. So I, I, I don't know that agile could help us with this, but if you guys have any ideas, I would, I would appreciate them. 
Okay, so that's this whole prime directive, which thank you for sharing that. That's a great piece of advice for everyone. And it's it's sinking. No one cares. So the prime directive has burned out or is not floating. Okay. Matt, you got one or? Yep. So I was thinking, and uh, I think one of the, the challenges I see that I think is awful, often an impediment to agile adoptions um, is the people over misuse of the agile manifestos, individuals and interactions over processes and tools to where you'll get, I've seen pushback from teams who say, well, if we're going to be agile about it, that means we don't have any process at all because we should just focus on the individuals. And I, I saw our, our co-host Amos tweet the other day about that processes are necessary until good habits are developed. And then we can do individuals and interactions over processes and tools. Um, and I'd be interested in seeing how, uh, how to, to uh, work with work, work within the spirit of individuals and interactions, um, but with, with still bringing the processes in when, when people are, um, opposed to the processes, the process in general. Okay. So this is kind of finding, I'm going to call it finding the balance because that's what you're talking about. So Fair enough. Okay. So we'll call it the balance between people and process and tools. And I threw one in there, which is kind of abstract. And what I observed is, you know, a lot of people, they kind of want to go out there and they want to use, um, this was really, I want to share for John because he loves to talk about MBAs. What managers do, managers to exactly what you said, Matt, they want to impose process on everything because they want to control things. And in reality, um, there's uh, some of the research that was done by someone by the name of John Cotter. He has a, a change. He calls it change leadership. And it really talks about what management should be doing is, again, allowing people to ask hard questions, just like Woody Zool talked about um, a couple episodes back on number 76 for this Agile Life. And you know, this, everyone's doing workshops on this, reading books, doing blogs. Why is no one actually then doing this? Or very few people are adopting these change leadership techniques that are intended to empower people. So that was kind of my idea was talking about this idea of change leadership. So, and alas, we have a problem because we have five great ideas. So we need to vote. So, so does, should we want me to run them down? Or do you guys remember them? Let's go ahead and review them. That's fine. Okay, so we'll review them, especially for the listeners. So here are our five awesome ideas. And guess what? I don't think what we don't discuss on this episode of This Agile Life, I think we're going to have to come back to a few of these on future episodes. So we have this whole idea of the what Lee described as the Agile Buffet. That is that, you know, we just kind of try to get a smorgasbord of stuff and we try to make it all work and it really doesn't, or maybe it does. Uh, we've got this idea of the product owner vision is not being communicated from Natalie. Um, we got what uh, Craig mentioned about the prime directive and no one else really cares about the prime directive. We've got uh, Matt, uh, Matt's question about the balance between individuals and interactions and processes and tools. And then we've got um, uh, my questions about why people really struggle to embrace change leadership and empower people. Well, I would, I would vote for the agile buffet. I, I think that's a, a really interesting one. Okay, that's, top, uh, that's my top pick. Okay, so yeah. two, we got two for Agile Buffet. Let's see. Right, uh, I hate to call your votes up, but we have to. So, like, Natalie, what do you want? I, You know what? I agree with everybody else. The Agile Buffet is certainly – there is a plethora of things that we can discuss on that. Okay. Anyone knows me because I love 
I love innovation. Natalie, I would, I'm going to vote for yours, the product vision, because I love that. So, so uh, Lee, what do you want? I actually thought Craig's was, uh, was a really interesting idea. So I was going to go for his. Okay, so real quick. So one thing I coach teams on a lot, guys, teams need to be empowered and know how to make decisions really fast. So our tenure tonight was to show you how you can have a discussion amongst a bunch of people. You can get some ideas and we can make a decision really fast about what we want to do. Because guess what? We got three votes for this Agile Buffet. That's what we're going to talk about on this episode of This Agile Life. So, um, so Lee, could you get us started? Like, I mean, a little more than you said, so we could kind of figure out how to, to dissect this buffet issue. Yeah, I mean, um, so uh, I've been kind of playing the role over the last, uh, I don't know, for, for a while now, I guess, uh, being kind of... Um, almost what Craig would have called uh, an agile practitioner. Uh, I, I'm actually calling the, um, the developer coach role. Uh, and it's, it's kind of that embedded coach, but it's, I've noticed that in doing that, there's a totally different way of, uh, or most more effective way of bringing about agile change than just constantly throwing Oh, oh, here's a problem. Here's a solution. Here's a problem. Here's a solution. Um, and, and so I've, I've come to realize that the things that I was seeing in the past where um, even myself as a coach would go into a place and say, oh, well, you should be doing pairing and you should be doing TDD and you should be doing, uh, you should be doing the Kanban and you should be pulling from the right and all these little things that we can add in, right? Um, uh, but if you throw those all at a team all at the same time, the team members themselves can't take it all in. Uh, and, and you don't really get buy-in and you don't really get, uh, understanding of why you're doing these things. And in some cases, the coaches themselves don't understand why they're doing it. They just know that, that, oh, here are the practices that I've been told and, I hate to do this because I don't have anything against Scrum, but Scrum has a bad habit of this, that they just have these these practices that they've put into uh, uh, into the Bible and they throw the Bible at you. It's not always the case. To, to be fair, XP actually says the same thing. You know, if you do one practice, it's not going to get you the the results that all the combined practices do. Uh, right. Like when it was starting, they were even like, well, no. You got to do them all. And, and yeah, I, I think that's wrong too. So, so the, we might say that you're, you're saying that the feature we're working on is too large when we try and tackle all the processes at once. That's a good way to put it, Matt. Yeah. Well, then, so how do we get a thin vertical slice? Well, <laughs> that's, that's the question, right? <laughs> um, uh, my, my, the first thing I heard was he was tell, saying, you know, he's telling them they should do these things. I usually phrase it as a question. Have you considered doing this? Um, have you tried doing this? Um, yeah, a- asking questions, um, asking what they've tried, asking, first of all, what are their problems that, yeah, that they're absolutely. trying to solve? Um, you know, if code quality is, is a problem, then code reviews and pairing might be the answer to, to start with first. But if, um, uh, I can't come up with an example, a counterexample that pairing wouldn't help with. Um, but you know, you might, you might start with pairing. You might start with, uh, retrospectives is what I would always start with first, actually. Um, I, then you could kind of build on that. 
I think that some of what you, you're talking about with the Agile Buffet feeds into some of the other topics we actually brought up, such as uh, people and interaction. When you're first starting um, with a team that that is uh, unfamiliar with practices, sometimes you need to be a little bit more prescriptive and give um, very more rigid uh, guidelines than you would until they get the hang of it, because it's, it's usually through practice that people get understanding standing in front of a bunch of people and saying this is why this is good it's the light bulb moment for the individuals on the team through practicing that that will get them to the point where they can actually the all those items on the buffet start to make sense so um i think that there are times where you need to be a little bit more prescriptive uh so that people can get into that uh, to get to that point of understanding i think i think you have to uh, judge the team uh, as your as you come in, right? Because you could have some team, uh, like for example, the team that I'm working with right now. When I first came in, they already were a they're a, a high functioning team individually, and so it was very easy to explain to them why a certain practice might be helpful to them, and for them to then say, "Oh, yeah, that makes sense to me. Let's do that." And it was easy for them to uh, to have buy in. Um, so I can definitely see a team that is is less familiar with this kind of thing and and is uh, harder to convince. It might be necessary that you that you come in with one thing at a time, but it's that one thing at a time, not uh, twelve things at a time, right? Yeah, yeah. What I was going to add, it's it's funny because we're kind of having some topic overlap here, which is neat. This whole idea of because Lee, what you initially described, and if I was thinking about it. That's like the guy that goes to the buffet and literally tries to put everything on his plate at once, which is what I said initially, because that's what I thought of. But you got to put some science around that. And, and really, again, if you think about this idea of like change leadership, you're going to do things one at a time. And so, you know, have a conversation like Craig said, identify a problem. And then again, if you're kind of like a, a coach consultant or just a team member, go read some blogs and say, hey, let's try this. But the key thing is only to try like one thing at a time to see if it works. Yeah, I, I think that identifying the problem is really, as, as you guys both said, the core of the issue Be, because I've come onto teams before where I thought, wow, we don't have these things that I am really used to, but uh, I apologize. My, I turned the, audio on in my headphone and it's basically acting as one of those voice uh it's making my voice in my head much slower than reality so i apologize i need to uh turn that back off i was oh, trying no. something new that's weird that the voices in your head have slowed down <laughs> it would be all right there, I can talk right he much better now it's like that android app where it you know uh delays your voice anyway sorry about that uh, I was saying, identifying the problem, much as we just went through right there, um, is is the key to doing it because uh, th- there's there's a fine line I think with with helping an agile transformation. You you only need to help as much as the team wants or needs help, right? So that as as someone coming in and trying to be that coach or that practitioner, um, it can be easy to to for, I I found it easy to start solving problems that aren't necessarily problems. And so it's asking people not just what what do you want to do better, but like Craig said, what what is painful for you? What are your bad outcomes? Um, I really think it can help 
a, an individual or a team zero in on the one thing to pick first. I also think that uh, it's like a the, the analogy here is is a drug addict, right? The first thing to to getting better is to admit you have a problem. So if they don't actually see the problem and feel the problem, then you providing a solution for a problem isn't going to help. Absolutely. Um, and again, I, I like to keep relating it to the, the go ahead, Jason. Oh, no. So, so well, no, I, I have kind of a different pivot on that. And I, I'd love to get because I think, Natalie, you can you might add some injection. You might have some ideas here because the one of the challenges in the agile space right now, many, especially at the leadership level, have been influenced by the big pictures because there's the safe picture. There's the big Agile Practices map that the Agile Alliance maintains. Um, if you're familiar with large-scale Scrum, LSS, they have a big picture. And what I think causes this, this scenario Lee described is someone who's responsible really at the leadership level sees the big picture, whosever big picture it is, and they're like, oh my goodness, I want that all, and I want it all right now. And what do we do about that? My so, my uh, additional comment uh, with that was uh, a little bit more on a, on a team level is that when a, a leader that is responsible for that team's success sees that problem, uh, oftentimes doesn't have the luxury of allowing the team to learn from their mistakes. So has to jump in and give that solution because they can see the train heading for an absolute wreck and they've got to get it back on the tracks. But But if you do that, the team never learns. And the, the train will run off the tracks next week. Can, yeah. can, the, can the team learn from other people, though? So I guess this is another problem. You know, like we, we've, we've, we've discovered the first problem. The next problem is, hey, leadership, you need to give us the, uh, give us the room to, to make these mistakes. Uh, and that's, so I, but I think that's another tangent. <laughs> well, not really, because I would say that's where, again, a little bit of science could come in here. And I know since Craig's here, we got to have a Craig, we got to follow up on the last episode where we got to talk burn up, burn down. Right. We're not going to do that. But I, I remember I heard that on the last episode was what you, you need some metrics, because what you should be able to do, I would hope, is say, you know, hey, let's let's do this like a science experiment. So, hey, we're going to try pairing and maybe we could see, uh, you know, if we're tracking story count or maybe if we're tracking velocity. Let's see if we start pairing what happens to our velocity and use that data to have informed conversations. What if you're giving up quality for velocity, though? Well, you got to. OK, yeah. this is not a measurement episode. You got to measure enough. OK, so you can't just look at one metric. We've talked about this time and time again. But this idea of saying that let's actually try to run, run your team like a science fair and when the leadership shows up with the big picture and they're like, we want this. The conversation that you need to be empowered to have with your leadership is to say, well, okay, this is a neat big picture. I really think it's neat. It's pretty. I'm sure somebody has spent lots of time. I'm sure they're selling lots of training on it. And I'm sure it's a great idea. Let's find one little piece of this big picture and let's give it a try and see what happens. And you know what? We'll try it for, here's what I want to ask is if you try something, how long should you commit to it? before you say, know if it's working or not working? How do you figure that out? Well, I, I think that varies on a, on a piece by piece. I, I mean, there's, there's some things that you might try um, that you can see maybe a pair programming. You can see some feedback in the immediate as a developer 
Um, but uh, so say you did something like retrospectives, which happened once an iteration, you know, you might try have to have to wait several iterations to see good feedback from a retrospective. Correct. First of all, retrospectives don't happen have to happen only once per iteration. This is true. Um, the best teams I've seen That's did it. them every week. Uh, let's or, do it. Hey, real quick. Let's do, let's do something new. Who thinks that's a really good idea? This idea of saying, out of all five of us, that we should do retrospectives when we need to versus having a retrospective schedule. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right, so who thinks it's a good idea? I agree. To have it when you need it? Have it when you need it versus have it yeah. on a schedule. Is, yeah, is there, can we put a, a, minute, a maximum on there then? Because I, I think you could easily slide into, well, maybe I need it, but it's not important. So, well, so Matt? When so when I say when I say when I say about having a a retrospective whenever we need it, it's like someone notices a problem and they say, "Hey team, let's turn around and talk about this problem." It's not a, a an official retrospective, but you're doing a retrospective right there. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's, that's, okay. that's stop, my favorite stop, stop, kind. I, I call that impromptu retrospective. Right, and we call that yeah. a turnaround. And so, I I would advocate people do turnarounds all all day long instead of code. Right. So for our yeah, listeners, retrospective is usually bigger than that. So for this, I apologize. That was a fun experiment. It no, it's, it's great. It completely got us <laughs> off topic. So if you're trying to follow the conversation. All I say is I think everyone on this Agile Life tonight agrees that um this idea oh, squirrel. of- squirrel, squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone, everyone agrees that that's a good idea. If you, I, I'm not sure we agree on what as you needed the means, though. Like, I usually, at the end of uh, every few retrospectives, I'll ask, are we doing this too often? Not often enough. Like, if we're having it every two weeks, should we have it every week? If we're having it every week, should we have it every other week? That's kind of more what I mean is as needed, plus an occasional impromptu if something's really bugging you uh, out of out of band from the normal schedule. But I I still think that you should have scheduled ones um, in addition to impromptu ones. I wouldn't yep. want to not schedule any. And, and Craig, having an official rep- uh, retrospective every week is the same as every iteration if you have weekly iterations, but that's well, a whole separate yeah, no, but they don't. They don't need to be tied together. You can have three I, I, iterations. I, I recognize, yeah, where you were going with that. Weekly retrospectives. Can I ask a question? To solve this problem, why does why do many teams out there, especially if you have Lee on your team, if I were to say, why don't you write a working agreement that defines a service level for your retros? So we can have a retro. <laughs> you need, okay, you need to watch the video of this one because you need to see what Lee just did. And I write a policy for my team to ho- so I have something to ho- hold. We can I'll hold make it audible. Ac- we can hold all- ourselves accountable. Okay, <laughs> so we simply write this down as a reminder. Why is that a bad idea, and why do people hate it when coaches show up and encourage their teams to write working agreements like that? It's too much Please? process. Yeah, it's it's the people over process thing. So so I have I've done this uh, on a couple of occasions where you can go through. Uh, I've been on the receiving end where somebody else has facilitated this for a team that I was on, and it was a half day or a whole day sort of a ordeal, and it was this long sort of uh, form, right? And for the record, that was not me. Okay, yeah, yeah. I never okay. did that to you, Lee. Yeah. Um, that that person will not remain nameless. Um, but I've had that happen at least twice. Um, so it's not uh, with two different facilitators. So it was not just the uh, uh, the person involved. 
it was also the the nature of all the things that uh, that people want to talk about there, right? But they were talking about minutia, and even they would agree it was minutia. So I, when I've facilitated these, I can generally do this in an hour to an hour and a half, maybe an hour forty five if we're pushing it. You're saying like a chartering session to write working agreements. Is that what you're saying? Yes, for the things that the team thinks are important. Okay, so not a retro. So, okay, and maybe this is important. So Natalie wants to say something, and then I want to go back to before we started the failed experiment here uh, to go back to what we were talking about. What what were we talking about? Uh, Squirrel. Squirrels. (laughs) Mine is more a question, so I may need to hold it. We just have to have another chat about uh working agreements because i might derail us further so i am going to to retract my waving of my hands and saying i want to ask a question (laughs) and let's go back to the topic at hand okay so i believe that topic was uh how long do we let something go to get value out of it yes that's correct that's correct how long to how how do we and, and guess what i'm going to say it's just going to go full circle too long. no no what's good what i'm going to say is I would love it. I've actually done it where uh, I've seen I've seen this. I haven't seen. I guess I need to blog on it because I've seen people present on this at conferences. They call it like the experiment canvas where you write it down and you make it like an experiment. And you say, you know what? We commit to it as a team. We're going to do this for a month. And maybe you put some criteria that if it's going really bad, you can terminate it. But it gets everyone committed to trying to practice so they stay focused and you can get some data to determine if it's working or not. So, but you got to write it down. So number one, I know Lee's going to hate it. Um, although you could write it on a big poster in about in about three minutes, Lee. So it doesn't take a lot of time. Now, I know Craig wants to tell me something. So Craig, what do you think? So uh, my current team, we have three week iterations and we have a retro every three weeks. Um, one thing we've added is a check-in every week to see how we're doing on our action items. Um, so that that's kind of helpful. You know, hey, are we really trying this or do we have some challenges that we can adjust before we have a full assessment at the next retrospective? Uh, but I'd like to take it like on a case-by-case basis. If we're trying pairing, I pairing is one of those things that it takes a while to learn how to do well right so i wouldn't want to give up after one week and you know say oh well we're on our nuts retrospective pairing didn't work i think i would want to give pairing a little bit longer unless you know it's just tearing our team apart and then i'd say well let's stop the experiment um and let's try something else but i i I like to take things on a case-by-case basis I agree. So, and I, yeah, to to sort of further, you know, uh, support that, it really does depend on what it is. If you're if you're switching up uh, the length of your iteration, you know, you've you've got to give that time to see whether that's working. If there's issues with your stand up and things are going too long or people aren't, you know, sort of adhering to to the proper practices. That, that that could be a, a very shorter turn, you know, a much shorter t- turnaround. So it is very much dependent on the particular practice or activity that's going on in the team. So so let me tr- let me try a real life one here. And I, this is kind of goes back to actually the best example I can think of has to do with what Natalie brought up. And, and so, Natalie, your problem before was having product ownership issues. So here's my question is how what is the role of 
leadership or sponsorship of a team to suggest and or yes, yeah, I'm going to leave it at suggest. I'm not going to say mandate suggest that a team adopt a practice. So you have a team, you observe the problem that Natalie mentioned where they don't have a, a vision. They they're struggling and the leadership says, Hey, why don't you guys go like do one of the games about vision? Like, so go, you know, build a Lego thing or go build a product box or something. Those are, those are practices. Go do that. And the team's like, you know, I don't want to do that. And it sounds dumb, but it might help. What do you do? What do you do? So I've um, been an agile retrospective facilitator for a team I was on which isn't the best um, practice, but it was all we had available. Um, and uh, someone came to me with a problem. And uh, honestly, we were a little bit manipulative on our game. You know, we did a game that we knew would have a certain outcome um, that sort of gave us the outcome we wanted. So in some ways, you can sort of leave the horse of water, right? But you can't necessarily make them drink. But you can at least lead them towards the solution you're you're looking for that you know that they need, right? But isn't sometimes you got to let them. Just, I'm interjecting, but isn't that the definition of coaching? Uh, perhaps, yeah. Part of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, you know, you can see that they need something, but you kind of have to let them believe that they found their own path. I just, I, I'll share, I've been in some conversations recently, like about, especially about like what I'm going to call the core practices of product ownership. So product vision, uh, whole team story writing, you know, writing stories that are short, you know, that meet like the three C's and maybe even writing them on note cards with a pen. And again, these are practices that, at least in my experience, they are proven to promote whole team collaboration and they work. They have to be encouraged and Sometimes people just put their hands up and they say, you know, I don't want to do that. And what's a pen? Oh, geez, that's hilarious. Um, sorry, reading the chat log here. <laughs> pen, it's this thing I'm holding that I hold when I talk. So watch our video. You'll see me holding my pen all the time. But whatever, these practices work. But sometimes people say, you know what? No. So if I'm, if I'm leadership, like, how do I challenge? So Lee. How would I challenge you to say, okay, this crazy coach thing guy I hear talking on this Agile Life said that I should make you write stories and sit in a room together and work together. And I know you guys don't want to do that. How do I encourage you to do something else that will provide the same outcome? Um, when you say prov uh, provide something else that will provide the same outcome, what do you mean by that? Well, so, so again, like, so for product ownership, like Natalie said, you got a team, they don't understand the vision of the product. So they, they, they're constantly thrashing They're They don't understand that they're making up work. You know, they're staying focused. They're, they don't understand that they got a deadline coming up and instead they're just refactoring because, you know, cause they don't see the big picture. And, and what are you asking them? And so leadership is saying, I hear leadership shows up <laughs> and they say, or the coach, the agile fairy shows up and they say, Hey, let's all go build this cereal box about our project. And the team says, no, Jason, that's a really dumb idea. We don't want to do that. That sounds like a waste of time. And okay. Well, what else could you do? Okay. Oh, Natalie wants to get in on it. Okay. So Natalie, what could you the cereal box actually, and we've done this several times is, is actually great. And I, and I, and I think that, um, that leadership uh, has actually seen the value of that. No, no, no. And it's not. We're going the other way. Past, leadership wants the cereal box and leadership has endorsed it. The team 
looks at it and says, that's dumb. We don't want to do it. That's the problem. They want Captain Crunch, not Cheerios. <laughs> so, and, and we've had that resistance too. This is stupid. And you bring out the cereal box and all of the, the markers and everything like that. And like, are we back in kindergarten? What's going on here? You know, like that kind of stuff. And it, it's really, it's really just a, a matter of having some facilitators here that say, just bear with me, because ultimately you see that the conversation is the important part of that. The, the, the cereal box becomes a non-event by the end of it all. But it's it's the conversation that happens with the, the product owner and the team that is the key part of that at the end of it. I have to but say it, when... It really is having somebody trying to... that that has that has a relationship with the team that can help let them take a little bit of a leap of faith. I have to say when I deal with situations like that, my... Um, my process is really to diffuse the whole thing and say, uh, and to make them to, to not make them feel like they're being, um, uh, that they're going through some exercise, right? It's not an exercise. You know, we, we had this meeting scheduled and, um, uh, why don't we have this thing? Do you, do you guys want to try this? You know, this, this sounds like some, I, I think we can have some fun with this. You know, most of the time you can get at least enough buy-in to say, let's, okay, we, we're, we're here in a room anyway, we might as well do this. And then as you go, you can kind of reaffirm the, the lessons that you're wanting to get out of it. Bait and switch. Exactly. You got it. But, but Uh in a gentle way. So Natalie brought up, um, leap of faith. And, and I think a lot of the agile practices do take a leap of faith. So the question is, how do you get the team to take that leap? How do you have enough trust to get them to believe you? Uh, mm-hmm. So you probably can't. You probably can't take those leaps until you've built up that trust with smaller things, right? Um, I think. I think pair programming is is a leap of faith for sure. You know, wait a minute. So I'm going to put two people doing the same thing, and it's going to be faster. Well, first of all, I claim it's not going to be faster. It's going to be a little bit slower, but you're going to make it up in quality QA bugs and stuff like that but yeah i think you have to build the trust on small things before you take the big things like pair programming yeah i mean craig you're right and actually it's really a pairing um you're you're doing the leadership angle which is the productivity but think about it at the at the team level where it's more about the transparency it's like boy i really have to show my hand and you know my my pair will ultimately know what i know and what i do not know and yes if you're a new person on a team uh if you're if you don't understand how agile needs to be in an environment where people are empowered, people people work with respect and people in, in people show empathy towards each other. That so yeah, I, hey dude, I don't know how to refactor that. You know, I mean, I need to sit down like tomorrow and go find Lee and pair with them, and it would be hilarious because Lee'd be like, Jason, you are you are so like rusty, you know, like whatever. But you know what, Lee's not gonna hold that against me. But if you're brand new to this. That that is a leap of faith because in many organizations, they have other systems, human resources, whatever in place that have processes and procedures that go against that 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 desire to have empathy. So um, this is stuff. What I wanted to say though about this is there is another thing where you, again remember the fundamental values of agile. Agile is about collaboration and working together, and so you have to be willing to engage in collaborative behavior. And if you don't like doing that for whatever reason, 
that's a problem. And you can learn and change, but you got to be willing to collaborate. That's a whole episode's worth of question right there. It is. And, and I, in, that, in that spirit of collaboration, one of the things that none of us have mentioned when we said, I'm, I'm management, I want people to make this cereal box and, and, and work through their product owner vision problems. And the team says, no, we've talked about offering them alternatives and other things. Um, do, we, do you ever just ask them why and, and try to understand their, their objections to it? Right. Is that is that a valid path here where we pass that and we're just saying I'm I'm management and I'm just being nice to pretend that, I, you know, I'm going to give you a choice here. <laughs> so um, so the, asking the why and, and I think that there there, there are times that uh, that teams or, or even whole organizations uh, can de- develop a very anti mentality in general. And, and I and I do believe there are times where even if somebody doesn't want to go down that path, uh, there there are many things about uh, being employed uh, at a company that you have to do. Because that's what you're told to do. Uh, so, so there, there, there's some aspects of that where you know, like even if somebody doesn't want to participate or thinks it's stupid, uh, there, there's a whole bunch of administrative tasks that I have to do on a daily basis that I think are ridiculous, but it has meaning to somebody else. And okay, make it as as at least uh, as least uh, uh, inconvenient as possible. But but uh, I think there are times where you have to say, I know you don't want to do it, but we're going to go ahead and do it anyway. Well, and I think and I think this almost kind of goes full circle because what we're what this whole agile buffet can ha- can uh, what it can create is this set this perception that hey, I could just take these practices and I can ask the people in my organization to do them. But that could change. I mean, maybe the people in your organization they don't have the behavior to allow that. So that's when this can become really challenging, and and it's tough. So, Craig, you want to get in? What are you going to say here? So, I think the the way to get around the the buffet problem where you're putting everything on your plate is uh, to think of it as a toolbox. You've got these different practices that are tools that you can use. You don't generally get all your tools out to to solve one problem, or you you never get all your tools out all at the same time, right? You, you get Unless you want to lose them. As you, as you need them. Um, yeah. So I've actually started on a book on, on Agile. And, and the idea is, it, the, the subtitle is actually a toolbox of Agile practices. And I give you these Agile practices in sort of a recommended way to, to introduce them in a specific order, a suggested order, let's call it a suggested order. And, and retrospective is, to me, the, always the starting point. But I mean, working up your way to TDD, Pair programming, continuous delivery, continuous uh, uh, no estimates, things like that that you know more advanced teams do. I wouldn't throw them all at a team just starting out by any means. So I, I have to say, going back to something that Natalie said, I, I have to say that when um, when you're looking at all of the different uh, practices and especially these things that oh you just have to do. Uh, I think agile is is the right it kind of teaches us to say why why is it that we're doing this particular practice you're constantly asking that question and to me that's the whole idea with the buffet is uh, you can't just go in with all of these practices you have to at least with the team ask the question why is it that you are doing things the way you're doing them and is there another way think 
think of all the possible ways you could do it. Um, here are some possible things that w- that we know have worked in the past. They may or may not work for you, um, but uh, but that's essentially the the core of it. Is you have to constantly be asking, um, why do we do what we do? I just want to add to that to support that the the teams where we've had the most struggle with adopting agile practices are the ones with coaches that were most were the least adept at explaining explaining the why, why this makes sense to actually do. So when you're introducing those concepts, if you don't have somebody that is skilled in actually explaining those, uh, that that's that's oftentimes when teams will reject it. And one thing also that, that I'd like to touch on is is that a great way to get teams to adopt things, I think, is to, to show them. Craig, you said you're a agile practitioner, not an agile coach, correct? And that a lot of times if, if you see a team is is or you're on a team and the team is having this this problem, right? Like Jason, you uh, mentioned uh, with the pairing uh, or, or take TDD, for example, right? If you're working with someone and there's they're they're struggling to get through a problem rather than sitting down and pointing out, hey, here's a here's a tool in the toolbox and explain to them what TDD is and how to go through it. I find it just just to just to start writing tests with them. Right. And just. Just start doing the practice you want them, you hope will bring benefit to their problem. And and it's it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Either it, it adds value and they some pain is relieved and people will hopefully start building that trust and want to do that practice, or it didn't help in that situation. It's not the right toolbox tool for this time. And that's just, just getting in and, and just kind of rolling with it is is I think the most effective way, even on an individual to individual level, to start getting that belief system built in, in the tools in that toolbox. You, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, you know me, I have to throw a game idea out there. It wouldn't be a podcast if I didn't do that. The, um, the game idea I would throw out there is, which would be kind of fun, especially like for a, a team inception. Like if you're just getting started on a team or you're starting like a transformation or an adoption project or a coaching type project to um, like make a metaphorical buffet of agile practices is like it put them all out there in the first place and then ask people to describe them like metaphorically using food terminology because what this will show and this again this goes back to this change leadership thing that i i guess i kind of really want to talk about tonight so i'm thinking about a lot in the background here it's going to show you what people are most interested in their subconscious mind because the things that they probably start to focus on and describe are the things they're most interested in. And so maybe if you do that, you could find, oh, here's the one practice that everything's, everyone thinks is going to taste like ice cream and for whatever reason. And that's the one they start with. And I just think that would be fun. So uh, I have an idea about that that I'll talk about in my picks a little bit in just a moment. So when we get to that, but Anyone else got thoughts on this? Otherwise, because the way I think it would be cool to wrap this up is, um, and we'll do this in just a moment. So, Lee, this was the topic you brought up. So I would like you to synthesize what you got out of this conversation that you're going to put into practice, you know, because you shared this challenge with us. But before we do that, and as you're thinking and laughing, does anyone else have a final comment before we ask Lee to close this out? I just, I I want to go back to focus on, the, the pains and the whys as you try and figure out which of the things, which of the things to do, which of the things will actually benefit you. That's, that's the, the most successful way I've seen to, to pick an item off the buffet. 
Yeah, and with that, before Lee goes in there, I was going to say is, again, listen to uh, our episode uh, 76 with Woody Zool. It was two before this one. And where he says, you know, the whole idea with no estimates is question everything. Hey, why do I need to fill out this 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 project status report or this bird or this financial report? You know, why do I need to do that? Why, why, why? Ask that question and uh, and and go to you know try to keep things lean. So and and you should be empowered to do that as a member of an agile team, regardless of what your role is. So Lee. What are you going to do with all of the wonderful free advice that you have gotten from the awesome Agile coaches that let you help, that help you understand how Agile you are on this episode of This Agile Life? Well, here's what I heard that I think uh, I can refine my my practices. First, start with retrospectives. Retrospectives can give you a forum for asking the whys. So you delve into them with the whys. You pick the, uh, the experiment that you want to, to go after. You find some metrics to, uh, to back up that experiment and learn from it. Keep at it for a little while. Take one step at a time and figure out what the team thinks is going to be the biggest bang for the buck. One, one thing uh, before another and, uh, and then go from there. Hallelujah. This week's hottest picks. So, um, uh, we got some picks this week and, uh, we'll just go in the order at our notes. So, um, wow. He has been on the spot so much tonight. Lee, what are your picks for this episode of this agile life? Wow. Okay. So I have to preface this by saying that my youngest daughter who is, uh, 11 now is, uh, really into Minecraft. Um, I mean, really into Minecraft. Uh, more than I thought she could ever get into a computer game. But in the process, she's also been making up all of these great ideas about how to mod Minecraft because she's seen these mods and she thinks they're really cool and she's got all these great ideas. And it takes some decent uh, Java uh, chops to be able to mod Minecraft. Um, however... I have found a couple of resources that could, that I'm going to try to to delve into, and I have to say I have not looked deeply into these, but I would love to hear anybody else that uh, has has worked with these. One of them is an article from Wired magazine uh, on their website, which is "New Minecraft Mod Teaches You Code as You Play," and I thought that's a really cool thing. Well, how about a mod that lets you mod and uh, and can teach you stuff. Um, so, it, and specifically kids uh, aimed at uh, like nine to, to 14 year olds. Um, along those same lines, I also found a course, an online course specifically for eight to 14 year olds called Mod Design One, where you learn to code in Java with Minecraft. So, it was the winner of the, the 2015 Parents' Choice Gold Medal Award. Um, from some organization that I may have no knowledge of. Um, but it looks like a great resource, and I am anxious to see if, uh, if my daughter will take to them. Okay, Lee, those are some great picks. So, um, uh, well, for who wants to go next? Uh, I'll go since you said we're going to go in order. I, but you know what? I felt bad. I felt that 
because you know what? I felt like I was I was asserting my dominance like John Sextra does. Oh, so no. I want to promote <laughs> radical self-organization. And guess what? Yes, I'm an MBA and I'm promoting self-organization. Oh. So however we want to do it, whoever wants to go, go. Just go in order. All right. Uh, <laughs> my pick, my first pick is pairing with junior developers. It's a blog entry uh, by Sarah May. Uh, it's got really good advice uh, when a senior developer is working with a junior developer. Um, I recently was doing some mentoring with some kids that were just getting started with uh, web development, and I, I experienced some of these things myself. You know, when you're mentoring, you can't just take over the keyboard and like, hey, let me do it. Um, and it's kind of the same with junior developers. Uh, she advises actually not t- touching the keyboard for, you know, an entire day at a time if possible. Um, my second pick is uh, a uh, app called or a, uh, a tool called Packer. It's for use for building server images, and it's by uh, HashiCorp, the same guys that gave us Vagrant. And my third pick is DigitalOcean, which is uh, an excellent hosting company and um, very simple, cheap, great servers. And uh, I think probably my favorite part, though, is a very simple API. Okay, those are good. So um, since we have decided to follow the list, uh, Natalie, you're up. Okay. So my, I'm going to go really short with my pick, but then I want to go back to both of the last picks and challenge. Uh, so uh, the Phoenix Project, I'm currently reading this. Um, so I, I can't really go into a lot of detail because I'm very early on in uh, in uh, the book. And so if it's a repeat, because I know it came out in 2013, uh, so I apologize, but uh, it's because it's being very widely read around our organization. And I'm sure, Matt, you've probably either heard of it or been told to read it. Uh, So uh, that is my pick. But going back to Lee and Craig. So, Lee, you talked about uh, the Minecraft uh, uh, programming. And also, Craig, you talked about junior developers. And both of that uh, sort of combined with uh, young girls getting into coding. I challenge. I say that we should hold some kind of workshop uh, using those resources and those techniques to get women or young girls in St. Louis involved in coding. Uh, there are some of those things. I know about a few of them. I can point us out. So there's uh, wow. yeah, Natalie, I think it's, co- I think it's called coder girl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I'm saying I want you guys to get into that. So Natalie, we're already there. Cause Other- I helped to ha- I coordinate a hackathon at the University of Missouri St. Louis, uh, especially for women in programming. But that is for college, so you're telling us to go younger. I, I yeah. think it's a great idea. I'm in. I'm in. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay, Lee. Hey, Lee's up. Lee's gonna do it all. Woo-hoo. I'll get in touch with you, Lee. Okay. <laughs> all right. So now we will change the focus from the St. Louis area to um, uh, a person out on the West Coast. What we out got here. Matt? So I'm, I was actually inspired by several of the, the picks along the way uh, as well. So I wanted to share in that same vein of, of teaching um, children to code. Um, for anyone in the Seattle area, there's a great resource that I've found since I've been here called Seattle, SeattleCoderDojo.com. Uh, they sponsor free uh, every Saturday or once a month Saturdays. I honestly don't know. Um, code code events for kids. Uh, the, the company I work for hosted one um, on Pi Day on March 14th and uh, brought in Raspberry Pis and brought kids from 8 to 16 in and worked with the Scratch, uh, the program from MIT that allows them to do drag-and-drop programming. 
and the uh, general purpose input output on the Raspberry Pis to uh, you know build some cool little tools and robots and flashing lights and all kinds of fun stuff. It's a really great program. So if you're in the area, check it out. Or if you're not in the area, check it out. Um, uh, my next pick, um, inspired by Craig's Packer suggestions, was um, a project that I've been using here called Chocolatey. It's a, a Windows PowerShell based. Uh, kind of app git or yum repository it's uh, it's great um allows you to uh, install packages on windows much easier than downloading an exe and then uh two more here um one more maybe uh we have a blog post from a young lady named kate heddleston about uh arguments and cultures of arguments uh Jason, you talked through the show about working in Agile as a um, community of respect and empathy. And uh, to be to be frank, in a in a male-dominated engineer world, it's it's often it's often easy to to cross that line from trust, respect, and empathy into argumentation and the loudest uh, podcast host wins. Right. So. Uh, it's a really good take on that and something to remind us uh, to kind of focus on that empathy and that respect. Um, and that's I think nice. that's enough. I'm going to, I'm going to leave my last one out. Not that it's not a great pick. I just, that's, that's plenty. So I have obviously done something to offend Matt. <laughs> no, I was, I was listening to old shows and that was, that was, uh, uh, was, was mentioned previously. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's funny. Oh, I, I, I want to share. So, so I have, I have a few, so I'll, I'll close, I'll, I'll mention my picks here. So I did type in a pick, go listen to old episodes of this agile life. Something I did when I was on a road trip recently and I had actually, I'll share, I will share a confession. I had never listened to episode zero until about three weeks ago, which first and foremost, Matt, you were on it. You were awesome, but it was like, okay, we talked about no estimates, although we didn't call it no estimates. Uh, we were talking about really continuous delivery, um, although we weren't in, in Kanban, although we really weren't using the terms we use now. And it was just fascinating. So uh, so if you're a more recent subscriber and you've never gone back and listened like to the, um, I want to say the old shows before we went to the techno music, back when we had kind of the, the rock and roll music, there's some good stuff back there. So, so go back and listen to those. Uh, so here's a weird one. I'm, I'm trying to do weird picks now. A couple weeks ago, we talked about, or a couple episodes ago, we talked about the the open space. I um I found an elementary school for sale, and I I said on that episode, I said if I if I were going to find a space to have a company that did agile, I'd love to find like an old school because it has a bunch of rooms. And so if you're in the if you're in the Midwest, it's actually in Ladue, Missouri. Uh, it's right off of uh, Clayton Road. It's right by if you're familiar with St. Louis, it's right by Plaza Frontenac. But there's an old elementary school there that's for sale by the school district uh, in town here that you could buy and you could run your company there. So if anyone's looking to do a startup, go buy that school. And it'll be really cool. So free advice. Yeah, because um, real estate in front of neck is so cheap. That sounds like a for good your, buy. For your startup? Yeah. 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 Oh, whatever. I'm being creative here. I will put the link there. People can <laughs> go look at the school online. So, um, okay. But then I, the last three I have are actually all live events. So these are all live events that if you want to get out and do something, check these out. The uh, first, uh, And two of them are in St. Louis. One of them is in Denver. So in, in St. Louis, on April 9th, 2015, we're going to have a lean Kanban with a keynote speaker. His name's Doug Dockery. He's from Rally Software. He's going to be talking about ways and ways to measure value and to make sure that you're delivering the most 
most value you can. Uh, so it's on Thursday evening, April 9th, 2015. Uh, we'll put the link to register. It's free. It's um, it's in uh, it's in the West County area of St. Louis, Missouri. Now, also in St. Louis on Friday. April 17th, 2015, we're going to have the first ever full day public open space in St. Louis. It's going to be held on the campus of Washington University, which is in Midtown, and it's an open space. So things like that game I mentioned about maybe doing the buffet and and doing some metaphors, maybe we'll do it at the open space. Uh, If anyone wants to come and code at the open space, we've got some dev labs. So Craig, you can come and code, show us some cool code stuff on the open space. Amos, a long time ago, he wanted a This Agile Life conference. Nothing is stopping Amos or John or anyone else from coming to the open space and um, sharing something. You'll be able to register online. We'll put the link to register in the show notes. It's probably going to be about 20 bucks since it's it's an independent event. So 20 bucks is just covers the food and stuff, you know, to make sure we can have it. So check that out. Last but not least, one uh, right after this comes out, uh, April uh, sorry, April third, Friday. I'm at I'm at Mile High Agile, and I'm going to be talking about gamification and performance reviews, and I'll be explaining how all of the evil things that human resources makes us do in our performance reviews many times it puts agile values um at risk and so we'll we'll talk about ways um some ways you can use gamification to improve that process so if you're in the denver area um in april 2015 come and check that out it's um it's downtown denver i believe it's at the hyatt so um so those were my picks so um guess what everyone that's all the time we have for today. So um, we thank you. And I want to say we do thank you for investing your time to, um, to listen to us. We value your feedback. And so with your feedback, we can make this podcast better. So again, look us up on the web. Look us up on Twitter. You can tweet us at This Agile Life. And guess what? Most importantly, everyone out there, Agile's hard. So keep learning and keep living this Agile life. This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of Agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.